Hi, I'm Val Hart in San Antonio, Texas, founder of Val Hart and Friends at ValHart.com. Welcome to The Real Dr. Doolittle Show, the show for animals and the people who love them. I've been called a real-life Dr. Doolittle many times in my career as an expert animal communicator, behaviorist, pet psychic, and master healer. My mission and passion is to improve the lives of animals the world over by helping humans learn how to speak their language, how to understand their viewpoints, and heal. After all, our love of animals helps us be better humans, and the more balanced and healthy we are, the more balanced and healthy they can be, too. Be sure and look for my CDs on iTunes, and to find out more about my work and to receive your free Quick Start Animal Talk course, just go to my website at valhart.com. While you're there for a limited time, you can also apply for a complimentary Happy Animal Assessment Session. And if you want to learn how to be your own Dr. Doolittle, check out the world's first complete animal communication made easy system available now on my website at valhart.com. Thank you and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Val Hart. The Real Dr. Doolittle, and today I'm here with Diane DiNapoli. She's a penguin expert and the author of The Great Penguin Rescue, which chronicles the remarkable rescue of 40,000 penguins from the treasure oil spill in South Africa. She was a member of the first team of penguin specialists to fly to Cape Town from the U.S. to train and supervise more than 12,000 dedicated volunteers who saved the oiled penguins from certain death. Thank you, Diane, for doing that. Um, you also helped manage the penguin colony at Boston's New England Aquarium for nine years, and now you're actually known as the Penguin Lady, and you lecture internationally about penguin biology and conservation, and you have taught approximately 250,000 people about these wonderful charismatic seabirds. Diane has been the featured penguin expert on several television radio shows and on nature cruises to the Antarctic and the Galapagos Islands. She donates 20% of the proceeds from her book and from every public appearance to penguin rescue groups. And as such, you are definitely a kindred spirit and animal lover, near and dear to my heart, and I know our listeners' hearts. Welcome, Diane. Thank you so much for having me, Val. I'm so glad you're here. I know we want to talk about the treasure oil spill and the rescue effort that's the subject of your great book, The Great Penguin Rescue, and about penguin conservation in general. What is it, the, what's the main thing that you really want people to know that they may not know about these wonderful birds? Well, I think one of the important things to know about penguins is they're what we call an indicator species. And so they're near the top of the food chain. And when we see the population of an indicator species declining, it means the health of their ecosystem is in trouble. And so right now, 13 of the 18 penguin species on Earth are threatened or endangered. And their populations have declined by 90% in the last 50 to 100 years. So we really need to pay attention to what's happening to them because they're alerting us to a larger picture. Right, right. I get that. Oh, man. Um, so they're suffering from overfishing, from global warming in a myriad of ways, um, and you said it means that our oceans are dying? Essentially, if we see these animals dying in such you know, large numbers and so rapidly, it's a warning that the oceans are dying. You know, the animals that they're trying to hunt are disappearing. Um, and, you know, that whole food chain, how it's all very, very connected. And yeah. so, I mean, scientists are now saying that by 2048, we might have fished out all the edible seafoods in our oceans. 
Sylvia Earle just talked about this in one of her recent books. So, um, you know, it's it's a problem that we have to we have to turn around pretty quickly. I think. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Ooh. Okay. Um. So I have to I have to ask a question. How in the world did you get interested in penguins? Were you crazy as, about penguins as a kid? What mm-hmm. happened? It's everybody assumes that I was crazy about penguins my entire life, but actually I was obsessed with dolphins from a oh. very early age. Yeah. Oh, okay. I I saw um, dolphins when I was five years old at the Miami Seaquarium, and of course I was obsessed with the show Flipper. And so I always had this dream of becoming a dolphin trainer, and it, oh, wow. but it just seems so unrealistic, you know? Who does that anyway? And so I put that dream on the back burner, but then when I was 32, I said, you know what, I really have to pursue this dream because I don't want to get to the end of my life and look back and regret not having tried. Yes. So I went to school to study veterinary technology, and in the course of my schooling, I had an internship. I worked full-time for four months at Boston's New England Aquarium with the penguins. Wow. Yeah, and it was a, it was just fascinating. And really, the minute I stepped into the penguin exhibit, I was hooked. And so from that point forward, Aww. I decided I wanted to work with the penguins. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> I love penguins. You know, I have to tell you, one of my very favorite movies is, guess what? Happy Feet. Happy Feet. <laughs> <laughs> I love Happy Feet. Uh, but, of course, there's the March of the Penguins and March. a lot of other wonderful things, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And oh, I'm so excited that you're doing this. I love penguins. They're so darling. And like you said, you have a, they have a really important message for us. They do. And, yeah, they're so engaging. So I think, you know, who doesn't love a penguin? They're so cute. Yeah, yeah they are. They yeah. are so cute. Yeah, there's a lot to learn about them, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So uh, tell tell us a funny story about penguins. <clears throat> oh, my goodness. <laughs> a funny there, – there are so many. I guess um, uh, the first thing that pops to mind would be working with some of the penguins at the New England Aquarium. Okay. One of the things we would often do is bring the penguins to disadvantaged schools in a local Boston area. Oh, wow. And, you know, do a program about penguin anatomy and conservation. And one of the penguins that we worked with a lot, um, his name was Roast Beef. Roast Beef? (laughs) And Roast Beef had a brother named Plum Pudding. Oh! (laughs) And um, these are actually educational names. We gave all the penguins names that had some sort of meaning for the species, and so they're named after breeding islands. Oh, Um, wow. Okay. But but Roast Beef, when the penguins are young and they've been hand-raised by us, they have a lot of affection for us and will exhibit behaviors that they will later exhibit towards a mate. And so oftentimes we'd be attempting to, you know, show something to the children and we'd put our arm next to the penguin and the penguin would start trying to mate with our forearms. <laughs> <laughs> like our dog's humping our leg. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, I do. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, there were embarrassing moments that way oftentimes. Oh, that's, that's very funny. How did the kids take it? Well, luckily they weren't quite sure what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> that might be, might have been a very memorable moment. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, form in their formative years. Right, a <clears throat> oh, moment, I guess. That's hysterical. I love that. I love that. That is so funny. Uh, thanks, Diane. Um, I, I can imagine other great funny stories with them also, um, and I love knowing about their names. That's very interesting too. Um, but let's go back to our topic, which is 
the treasure oil spill and um, the endangered, uh, you know, um, uh, how am I saying? I'm not saying this right. Hold on, let me let me get my thoughts in order. Okay. Do you have other stories? Do I have other stories, funny ones, or yeah, yeah, funny or sad or meaningful or something that you think would um, uh, help? Um, You mean when I worked at the aquarium? Yes. Or 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 in yeah yeah. Let me think. I'm sure there's so many, of course, right now. I can't think of them. Uh huh. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) I know. I do that too. Okay. Never mind. Um, you uh, you want to go ahead and talk about that then? Let's just move on into the oil spill and and that. Okay. Okay, hold on. Oh, Diane, that is so funny. I love that, and I love knowing about the names um, and that they do humping. <laughs> I think that's hysterical. I had no idea that they would do that, but that is so cute. Oh, okay, well, let's move on then. Let's talk about the oil spill. So um, I know when that happened, uh, you know, animal lovers around the world were just heart sick. Mm. You know, we we had the this thing in Alaska happen. We had that. We had the that what happened in the Gulf. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it, this is an ongoing theme, unfortunately, these days. So let's talk about that. Sure. So do you know what actually caused the treasure oil spill in South Africa? Well, it's a little bit of a mystery. They're not sure exactly what happened. It might have been that one of the hatches came off in a storm and then the ship flooded. Um, Or it could have been a cargo container that had been swept off another ship. And these float just below the surface of the ocean, and so they're not always visible. So it may have struck this container. But they know that when they were about 700 miles offshore, this huge hole suddenly appeared in the hull of the ship. Wow. yeah, so the captain immediately headed towards Cape Town and um, asked to come into port. Aww. And uh, what happened, though, was the ship was too large to come into the harbor, so she was anchored off of Robin Island, which is home to about 18,000 African penguins. And many people have heard of Robin Island because of Nelson Mandela. This is where he was imprisoned for the oh. first 17 years of his 27-year political imprisonment. Wow. Um, and so the ship eventually began to sink, and in the early hours of June 23rd, 2000, she went down in 165 feet of water mm. and spilled 1,300 tons of oil as wow. she sank. Wow. And so unfortunately, why this oil spill was so devastating was because of the location and the timing, because between Robin Island and Dassin Island, about 35 miles to the north, that housed that, that that was home to 40, 40% of the world population of these penguins. 40. So that's, yeah, 40%. So 75,000 African penguins live on these two islands, and it was the height of the breeding season. Oh. So really, and it was the best breeding season on record, so it oh couldn't have been a worse location or a worse time. Oh, my God. Oh, I'm just, I'm just heart sick. And so, so what happened next? What, what happened? Well, what, you know, within a day of the oil spill, thousands of oiled penguins started showing up on the shore of Robin Island. And so the local rescue center, which is named Sandcob, um, and the local conservation organizations immediately went out and started collecting these oiled penguins. Mm-hmm. And within a very short period of time, 19,000 penguins were oiled and collected. And then another 19,500 penguins were removed from Dassin Island before the oil could hit because oh, they knew wow. it was about to hit. 
Wow. Okay, and so then, they actually got them out. They did. I mean, and okay. actually, it was a very interesting part of this rescue because it was a strategy that they'd never tried before. Uh-huh. Because what happened was the first 19,000 were in a temporary rescue center that had been constructed in three days' time because mm-hmm. the local rescue center was too small to house so many penguins. Mm-hmm. And oh, they were you know, bursting at the seams with penguins. They Mm -hmm. had all these volunteers that had to be trained. They had no experience. And they knew if another 20,000 penguins were oiled, there'd be no place to put them. There wouldn't be enough volunteers to help take care of them. There wouldn't be enough fish to feed them. And so they said, what can we do? And so they decided to try an experiment and collect as many penguins as they could and ship them 500 miles up the coast in trucks and release them into clean waters there, knowing these wonderful homing instincts that penguins have, like all birds, that they would probably return to their islands. And they knew that swim would take about two weeks. And they just hoped that by the time they returned, the oil would be cleaned up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And luckily it was. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Wow. Oh, my God. uh, My heart's beating fast just thinking about this. Mm. Okay, so, so then what happened? Tell us more. Well, um, in terms of, you know, our participation, um, we were keeping track of what was going on. We learned about the oil spill, and five days later, um, I was in the penguin exhibit at the aquarium, you know, feeding the penguins and cleaning the exhibit, and then my mm-hmm. colleague Heather and I were leaving the exhibit, and we could hear the phone ringing in the penguin office, and, you know, she fumbled with the keys and grabbed the phone, and it was Estelle Vandermeer, who okay. was a center manager at Sandcob calling. Okay. And she was calling zoo and aquarium professionals all around the world saying, please come help because Mm -hmm. we have this Mm -hmm. unimaginable crisis on our hands. It was the largest number of penguins that had ever been oiled, Mm -hmm. and they really needed help. And so two days later, we were on a plane and on our way to Cape Town. And so that was how we got involved in this rescue effort. Mm, Wow. So... So that's how you got involved in the rescue effort. So I can't even imagine. So describe the scene when you got there. It was surreal. It it really um, it was hard to imagine what we would see when we arrived. Um, we got up at 6 o'clock the next morning after traveling for 32 hours to get there and went, were brought to the rescue center, this huge satellite rescue center that had been built called Salt River. Okay. And... When we first approached, there were just hundreds of people milling about out in front, you know, rushing in and out of the doors of this huge, huge warehouse. And when we stepped across the threshold of this building, you know, if you've ever been to an aquarium or been to see a penguin colony in the wild, you know they're very noisy places because these Mm -hmm. are very vocal birds. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, I expected it to be this cacophony of braying and honking in the building. Mm -hmm. But when we stepped across that threshold into this dark, dusty building, it was eerily silent. Oh, my God. These birds were not vocalizing. They were not braying. And for the entire three weeks that I was there, I never heard these birds vocalizing. Wow. Never. So it, it was just very um, startling because it indicated, you know, these are really traumatized birds that are in shock. And, you know, they're not behaving in a natural way at all. No. Um, and so that was really something I had not expected. Wow. Hmm. Oh, I just, I can imagine it. I can almost smell it. You know, it's the, the stench, right, of the oil and then 
all of them in there in shock. And how many of them again? 19,000? In that building, there were 16,000, and then there were another 3,000 at San Cobb. But -hmm. you're right. The stench was unbelievable. Um, There was another thing that literally hit you like a physical wall when you walked into Mm -hmm. the building. Mm -hmm. It was it was the combination of the guano, the penguin poo from Mm -hmm. 16,000 penguins, (laughs) and the Uh, sardines that were being force-fed to them, and the food, and the human sweat, and the coal dust. And I literally, every day, when we arrived at the rescue center each morning for about an hour and a half, I would have to breathe through my mouth because if I started to breathe through my nose, I would start gagging. Uh-huh. Oh, That's how bad it was. Oh, my God. Oh. Mm. Okay, so let's talk about the actual oiling. Mm. How does it affect the penguins? How does it affect the birds? Well, when they first get oiled at sea, that, that thick oil will clump up and separate their feathers. Okay. And when that happens, the cold water gets between and reaches their skin. And they uh-huh. live in very cold waters. Okay. And so they become hypothermic. They get too cold wow. and they head for land. Um, but they also can, as that water soaks in and gets into the downy base of their feathers, they can get waterlogged and drown. Oh, my God. Okay. And so as soon as they hit shore, of course, the first thing they want to do is try to preen and get that oil off of their feathers, which right. is impossible. They can't. Yeah. Um, but they will compulsively stand there and preen. And they use their beaks to do that. And so they're inadvertently swallowing oil. Yes. And then that leads to another whole constellation of problems, including anemia and bleeding ulcers and dehydration. Um, and it can kill them, the toxic effects. Yes. And then the oil that gets in their eyes can cause ulceration of the corneas and if not removed can lead to blindness. So really, you know, collecting these birds as quickly as possible um, and getting them through the rehab process is really imperative. Mm. God. So how in the world do you clean and rehabilitate an oiled penguin? (laughs) How in the world do you do that? It's Well, each penguin, during this oil spill anyway, it took two people about 45 minutes to an hour to clean each individual bird. Wow. So you can imagine with 20,000 penguins to clean, you know. Oh, my God. This took some time. Um, and round so the, the first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Round the clock for days and days. Pretty it's much round the clock. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. There were two washrooms ultimately that were built with about 20 wash bays in each room. And then it took four days to train a volunteer how to properly clean a penguin. And it takes. You take um, hot water and dishwashing soap and then toothbrushes to clean the delicate areas and um, dip the penguins in these vats of hot soapy water and and agitate the feathers until the water would run black and then go from tub to tub to tub of clean water until the water would run clear, indicating all the oil was off. Wow. But a really cool part about this rescue Mm -hmm. was that the first stage that you go through is to spray on a degreaser before you wash them. Yeah. And traditionally, you know, you use a lighter oil to break down a heavier oil. And in the past, they'd use canola oil and sunflower oil and different things, which worked, but they would always leave a slight greasy film. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And about a year prior to the treasure oil spill, a 17-year-old science student for a project for a Mm -hmm. science fair had invented a new first-stage degreaser. Really? Yeah. And it used used cooking oil as its main ingredient. Okay. And about six years prior to this spill, um, a small mystery spill had 
had impacted about 500 gannets, and they'd been using it very successfully. And so when the treasure oil spill happened and these 19,000 penguins were oiled, Mm -hmm. they were using this degreaser, and they actually ran out. And so they Estelle at Sand Club contacted this young man, Lois, and his father and said, please make more. And Mm -hmm. so they went to their lab, and around the clock were making more to to be able to clean these penguins. And so I just think it's the coolest thing that a 17-year-old kid invented this product that helped save the lives of 19,000 penguins. Oh, my God. I've got chill bumps. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, Bless him forever. Yeah. 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 We will send him prayers of gratitude. Thank mm-hmm. you, Lewis. Uh, Lewis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lewis. Oh my God. Thank you, Lewis. Um, yeah. So, so you use his wonderful invention. You, mm-hmm. So you degrease and then you put them in hot water, hot soapy water, and you dip them until um, until they get in a clean until they're clean. Right. And okay. then they have to so be rinsed. Feathers, and then they rinse. Okay. Okay. And normally you would spend 20 to 30 minutes with high-pressure hoses rinsing them to get all the soap out because if there's any residual soap, they can't waterproof their own feathers again. Yes. But with 20,000 penguins to clean, you know, we didn't have the luxury of spending that much time, so they each got a five-minute rinse, and then they were swum in large pools um, daily for one to two weeks until oh, they wow. could rinse the soap out of their own feathers before wow. being released. Mm. Okay, okay, okay. Mm. Okay, well, I have a, a picture of this. It's just like... Penguins everywhere. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, so this is all really tragic, and I love the story about Lewis. Um, is, is there any? Are there any other interesting stories that you can tell us about that time? Well, I think you know. Yeah, these are there's tragic aspects of this, but there also were really incredibly heartwarming aspects mm-hmm. of this oil spill. And I think the most inspiring part of it was the the outpouring of concern and help and dedication from these thousands of volunteers. Yeah. I mean, it, it really blew our minds. Every day, the, it took about a 1,000 volunteers would show up at this rescue center. Mm-hmm. And these were people that had never worked with animals, let mm-hmm. alone working with penguins. Mm-hmm. And I should say that penguins have extremely sharp beaks, and oh it God. hurts like heck when they bite. Oh, jeez. Okay. And and there were there were people there were volunteers who literally we had one woman in our room who was bitten clear through her upper lip by a penguin. Oh shit! And, <laughs> 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 yeah, and I sent her out to the first aid station to get stitches and a tetanus shot, and you know expected her to go home. Yeah. And a half hour later, I look back and she's back in the pool force feeding penguins. Uh, sure, she wasn't out there biting him back. <laughs> <laughs> like garp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a that's a remarkable testament to you know our, our I, I call them kindred spirits. You know, people mm. who really do care. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure that there were thousands of, of more people who simply couldn't get there. You know, that would have loved to have helped too. But I'm so delighted that you had such an outpouring of of you know of help. You actually had help because you could not have done this without them. No. We absolutely could not have. I mean, it really was because of these 12,500 volunteers that those penguins survived. It could not have happened without them. And they really, they just were extraordinary. We we couldn't get them to go home. We couldn't get them to take a day off. You know, they just, they just, they felt as compelled as we did to be there. Yeah. Yeah. 
<sighs> so what I know this is all challenging. Was there a most especially challenging part of the rescue? Well, I think, you know, there was the physical challenge and the emotional challenge. And yeah. so physically it was just unbelievably grueling. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we were working every day without stopping from 6 a.m. till midnight. Mm-hmm. You didn't have time. Well, I mean, with so many thousands of oiled penguins, mm-hmm. you just mm-hmm. didn't think of stopping to eat or drink yeah. or go to the bathroom. And yeah. no, I, I lost 12 penguins. Yeah. Right. There's so many. How can yeah. you stop? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I lost 12 pounds in 18 days. Whoa. And that was typical. You know, most yeah. most people that were working steadily lost 10 to 25 pounds. Wow. And, you know, and then just when you would go to sleep at night, you wouldn't sleep. You would literally just fall into unconsciousness. Mm. It was like have anesthesia. You know, you just, mm-hmm. I would put my head on the pillow and literally it seemed like five seconds went by and then it was morning. Mm. Mm-hmm. So there was this just constant bone numbing exhaustion. Um, and then in terms of emotionally, of course, it was just, you know, very overwhelming to be confronted with these yeah. thousands of oiled penguins, you know, and you sort of had to put, push your emotions down a bit to get through it. Yeah. You, you know, yeah. you just, you couldn't really let it sink in until you were home and it was behind you yeah. that you could really sort of absorb the enormity of that situation. Right. So then you could deal with the effects of the post-traumatic penguin rescue effect. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's true. The the rescue directors told us that it's not uncommon for, for rescue workers in these sort of situations to have a mild form of post-traumatic stress afterwards. Yeah. And yeah. for the first week or so after I returned home, you know that waking state? You're in sort of that lucid state of sleep in the morning when you wake up sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in that state, every morning for the first week, I would open my eyes and see thousands of penguins filling my bedroom. <laughs> and I immediately think, oh, my God, how am I going to manage all these birds? You know? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of counting sheep, you'll be counting penguins. Exactly. Sleep, except that they're going to be calling your name. Yeah, so yeah. We know where you live now. <laughs> We're going to follow you. <laughs> We're following you home. Oh, help us. Oh, my God, that could go for quite a while. Is it such a grueling, literally it is a trauma, not just for the birds, but for those trying to help. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, it totally makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so how successful was the effort? Did the breed survive? I mean, what happened? It, you know, this is the extraordinary thing. At the time of the treasure oil spill, this, there were about 170,000 African penguins, and they were a threatened species. Yeah. And you know, 10 years prior to this, another ship had gone down, the Apollo Sea. 10,000 penguins are oiled in that spill and only half survived. Oh, wow. So, you know, we, and we knew this and we thought, how could we possibly be successful? We have twice as many oiled penguins yeah. and four times as many penguins we're handling. Yeah. And so when we left 18 days into the rescue, there hadn't been any releases yet and we mm-hmm. didn't know what was the outcome going to be. And it was mm-hmm. very difficult to leave with so much work to be done. Yeah. But ultimately, it took about three months, um, but 90% of those oiled penguins were saved and 95% of those 40,000 that were handled were saved. So really, it was miraculous. I mean, it was a higher success rate than they have even in smaller spills. Wow. Yeah. 
What do you think that's a testament to? You know, it's the love of all those volunteers, all those people. And those volunteers, I should say, weren't just from South Africa. Uh There were people, I met people from every country practically, and there were people that had come to South Africa on vacation. And when they learned of the oil spill, they dropped their vacation plans and spent two weeks at the rescue center. Wow. You know, and there were many people like that. Mm -hmm. And so it's a testament to you know, the concern and the dedication of, of all of these volunteers, really. Wow. Mm. No, you're making me cry. <laughs> oh, that's just, oh, touches my heart. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is something that, you know, during this rescue, whenever we would think about it or the media was there interviewing us and they said, tell us about the volunteers, and each one of us, male or female, it didn't matter, when we started to talk about them, we would just break down and start crying because it was so yeah. moving. It really was awe-inspiring. Oh, man. <clears throat> okay. Well, I'm in awe. What an amazing um, story. Mm. Um, and that you were there in the middle of it and got to help. <clears throat> it's just, uh, oh, wow, what an experience. It, I have to say it was the greatest privilege of my life to be able to help. It really was. Yeah. Oh, so let's move on to another tragedy, which was the Gulf of Mexico oil spill, the BP mm. oil spill. Um, did you get involved in that at all? You know, the same group, the IBRRC, the International Bird Rescue Research Center based in California that okay. I was working with in South Africa was overseeing the bird rescue efforts in the Gulf. Uh-huh. Um, and Jay Holcomb, their executive director, uh, who I worked with in South Africa, was in the Gulf. Oh, okay, okay. And so they, I did. I was supposed to go for a month to help with the bird rehab efforts down there. And then a few days before I was supposed to leave, the information started really coming out about the Corexit, which was the dispersant that was used in the Gulf. Yeah. And it was the same dispersant that had been used after the Exxon Valdez spill in Alaska. Oh. And Dr. Ricky Ott, who is a marine toxicologist, had come out with a lot of information. And apparently, most of the frontline cleanup workers at Exxon Valdez 20 years later were dead or had chronic health problems, including lung problems, neurological, and kidney. Oh, my God. And the last one is where my antenna went out because I was born with one kidney. Oh. And I would like to keep it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah thank yeah. you. Exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. It, yeah. And so it was. It, it was the most difficult decision I've had to make. And you know, I really, really felt so compelled to be there. But you know, ultimately, I had to think about my health, and and so I made the decision not to go. But um, well, I totally understand. Mm. You know. Oh my gosh. Mm. Oh, I'm so sad. But you know, they did, they, the interesting thing about that oil spill, even though it was absolutely monstrous and devastating, there were only about 2,000 seabirds that were oiled. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. You know, so, you know, luckily, and I thought, of course, when I heard about this spill, oh, it's, there are going to be tens of thousands. Yeah. But it was because of the location that it wasn't close to where the birds were nesting and feeding. Okay. That they were. It helps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, so what's happened? Let's kind of fast forward now. What has happened in the 10 years since the treasure oil spill? What's happened to the rescued penguins? How are they doing? Well, you know, 
right after this rescue effort and they were released back into the wild, um, they did fantastic. Um, they would live just as long as their never oiled counterparts. You know, they've been wow. monitoring them ever since. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And their breeding success was almost as good. It was about 11% less than okay. the never oiled birds. Okay. And this is an important point because during the BP spill, um, there was a German biologist, Sylvia Gauss, and there were others who said, you know, just euthanize all the birds because most of them don't survive after they're released anyway what? when they're oiled. Yeah. Oh, wow. So let's just give up and kill them all. Yeah, exactly. You Who know, and I'm... person? Kill her. I'm <laughs> yelling at my computer monitor, you know. No, no, you're what? wrong. Are you nuts? Yeah. Uh-huh. And, okay. And so it's really important, I think, that people get the message, the correct message, that, you know, either she was quoting antiquated data uh-huh. or she just was misinformed. Yeah. But, you know, where we had a 95% success rate and pelicans have a similar success rate as penguins. Uh-huh. So it's very valid, you know, to to undertake these efforts, to spend the money and the time and the energy. And really, you know, if an individual animal is oiled, it's just the right thing to do. It is the right thing to do. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I, oh. Okay, so what is the current forecast for penguins worldwide? Well, you know, as I said at the beginning, unfortunately, it's it's not looking great. Um, 13 of the 18 species are now considered threatened or endangered. Okay. Um, and the African penguin just last year was declared endangered. And it's mm-hmm. primarily due to starvation because of the impact of overfishing and the impact of uh, global warming because okay. that's moving the cold water currents and moving their fish further away. Yeah. Um, so really, this is a message to us that we need to take more responsibility as stewards of this planet okay. and, you know, do everything that we can to reduce our carbon output and our, you know, our carbon footprint mm-hmm. and and to just think about the animals and think about how connected everything is, you know. Yeah. Um, so, so hopefully, you know, we can look at what's happening to the penguins and it's not just penguins, obviously, it's all animals, but, um, you know, they're the ones that are closest to my hearts, and so I kind of talk about them, but um, it's all connected, and it all matters. Right, it all it does all matter, you know, and for those who think that birds, you know, way over there or wherever they are don't matter, you know, they're all part of our circle of life, and so mm-hmm. what happens to them happens to us. Exactly. You know, it's like the canary in the in the coal mine. You know, it's mm-hmm. like if I if we destroy our planets and uh, no, I'm sorry, if we destroy our planet, you know, and, and the species who live on it, then we won't be far behind. I mean, we we depend on them, even though we may not know it. Exactly. Right. You're absolutely right. We do. Yeah. We do. And I think most of us aren't terribly conscious of that in our day to day lives. Yeah. But I think we should be more so. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Let, let's become more consciously aware. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so what can our listeners do to help penguins? Because I know I have a, personally a much greater respect and admiration for, for you and your efforts and others like you, um, and certainly for the penguins. What can we actually do? What can others do? Well, thank you. I, I, you know, I think one of the, if you want to do something directly, if listeners want to do something directly to help mm-hmm. penguins, mm-hmm. there are several different penguin rescue centers and conservation groups throughout the world okay. that are working every day to save these animals. Okay. Um, you know, and in fact, this is a key thing because just today, and I just posted a blog about this about an hour ago, there was a ship that sank um, two days ago off Tristan da Cunha. And which is in the middle of the southern oceans, and the northern rockhopper, which is endangered, 
their population is there. And so they're in desperate straits right now. Um, And so, you know, this is a constant threat that they have to deal with. So support those penguin rescue groups. There is a list um, in the appendix of my book. I have a list of all the penguin rescue centers. Okay. And also there's a a briefer list of them on my website. Um, So that's something people can do directly to help penguins and just educate, you know, yourselves uh, about these issues. And to do something that's going to help them more broadly and help other animals is maybe to go to one of these online calculators for calculating your carbon footprint. Oh, okay. Um, And it's a very enlightening exercise, actually, to do this. Okay. You might be surprised, you know, at how much you put out there and how much you can reduce it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's that's really interesting. Okay. So um, where would we find uh, these? Where will we find an online calculator? Do you have a, can you think of something? Um, carbon, I think it's carbonfootprint.com is one of the primary ones that I've often used. There okay. are a few. If you just Google carbon footprint, you'll get a bunch of different calculators, but okay. carbonfootprint.com does have a good one. Okay. Yeah. And I know what else people can do, our listeners can do, is get a copy of your wonderful book. Um, you know, so they they can learn and be inspired. Uh, again, the name of your book is The Great Penguin Rescue, mm-hmm. 40,000 Penguins, a Devastating Oil Spill, and an Inspiring Story of the World's Largest Animal Rescue. And, yeah, you said that's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, many other bookstores, um, and uh, you also have a website. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Diane, your website is? The website is thepenguinlady.com. Okay, so www.thepenguinlady.com. Correct. Thepenguinlady.com. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good. Uh-huh. And I also just wanted to mention, too, that I am donating 20% of my proceeds from the book to these various penguin rescue groups. Okay. Mm. Thank you. Thank oh, you. I am really, really touched and moved by your story. You know, we hear about these things on the news. And we never really know you know, or have a personal experience of it unless we're involved, you know, if, unless we're up close and personal, you know, smelling it, mm-hmm. <laughs> touching it, being bitten by the little little suckers, <laughs> <laughs> uh, saving their lives, you know, until, unless we're actually touched that way. And I know that has to be a life-changing experience, something yeah. you'll never forget. Absolutely. So for those of us who weren't there in person, uh, we can, in fact, be there through the power of your book, um, and we can, in fact, be there for others uh, in the future and for now. So uh, assisting in supporting conservation groups, volunteering, getting involved, reducing our carbon footprint, educating ourselves, um, and all of that. So, okay, so um, everybody go to thepenguinlady.com. Um, get a copy of her wonderful book, The Great Penguin Rescue. And um, oh, is there anything else you want to leave us with, Diane? Oh, gosh, just, you know, love the animals and take care yeah. of the planet. Yeah. Ah, oh, I think that's uh, that's said it all. <laughs> <laughs> love the animals and take care of our planet. What else? I mean, what else is there, right? Exactly. That's it. So, okay. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks for all your good work. I'll look forward to hearing more. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Diane. Thanks, Val. Thanks for listening to the show. 
For more information or to listen to other podcasts, go to valheart.com forward slash blog. And if you're someone who values a non-invasive, holistic solution to resolving problems with your dogs, cats, and horses, and you want better behaved, healthier, and happier animals, just go to my website at valheart.com to apply for a complimentary happy animal assessment session. And be sure and remember to look for my CDs on iTunes. Learning how to talk with animals is fun and will change your life. So while you're there at my site, get my free Quick Start Animal Talk course and check out the world's first complete animal communication made easy system. May the love of animals bless you, teach you, inspire you, heal you, and reconnect you to the circle of life.